Hi, I'm Lauren and welcome to The Afterlight. My amazing guest today is my dear friend, Veronica McClintock. Veronica is a nurse, a lawyer, a grandmother, a spiritual healer, and a certified Theta Healing Master practitioner and instructor. During the course of Veronica's life, she has endured and overcome more than many people experience in a lifetime. At the age of nine, Veronica was taken away from her parents. She lost two children six months apart, and she suffered a range of other issues. However, Veronica learned to heal herself and move forward with love, strength, forgiveness, and ease. Veronica is joining me today to share her story. Hello, my friend. Hi, Lauren. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for being here today. You are one of my favorite people in the world, so it means a lot that you're willing to share your story. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. No, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you, and I love always talking to you. Me too. The feeling is mutual. So why don't we get started by you telling me in your own words a little bit about yourself, and when did your spiritual journey start? Well, um... I can't actually put a date to that. I, I honestly believe that I've always had a so-called bent, if you like, towards spirituality. Yeah. Um, I've always been one of those people <clears throat> that has always um, wanted to, you know, wanted to see people happy, including myself. Yeah. I always wanted to see the goodness in other people. And I always wanted to enjoy, you know, helping others, doing things for other people. Always believed in kindness. I always strove for those sort of things. So I actually believe that I was always keyed into that, you know, really from the beginning. So I can't give a, give a date. Um, and I certainly obviously didn't call it spirituality. I, I went to a Catholic school. And so I had formal religion in my life, you know, in earlier years for yeah. a number of, um, well, a number of years. But then in 1988, I realised that spirituality is really something that's about yourself and creation or the creator. And that really um, you have to take responsibility for who you really are. And not hide behind buildings and structures, but, but stand there before the creator and be responsible for everything that you say, think and do. Yeah. So in 1988, I, um, I joined a group which was um, on about meditation and, um, you know, healing one another through psychic ability and also, you know, moving energy that is connecting with the creative energy and pulling that energy into the body and healing. So I, I guess, formally got involved with that in 1988. And ever since, um, my, um, I'll call it spirituality, my spirituality expanded enormously and it is still expanding 
And when I talk about my spirituality, it's it's not just uh, a commitment to um, to being the best that I can possibly be in terms of how I relate to myself and I, how I relate to other people. It's also, to me, is about tapping into my psychic ability and my own personal wisdom and tapping into the connection of creation and using that to not only help myself but help other people through what I would call spiritual healing. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit later uh, about, you know, listening to your heart versus your head and the importance of trust, because that's sort of what I'm getting from what you're saying is a lot of trust that comes into your healing journey. But before we talk about that, can we go back a little bit further? I know you were talking about from an early age that you felt a responsibility to almost be of service to others and that in a way you were a compassionate and caring which you still are, person. And I'm kind of curious if we could talk a little bit about some of the events that happened in your early years and how you were able to keep those qualities alive in yourself where other people may not have done that. So can you talk to me a bit about what happened when you were around the age of nine? Well... Actually, before the age of nine, um, I lived in Darwin in the Northern Territory, Australia, and um, my life was a, a very simple one. I lived with my parents and um, brother and sister, and um, unfortunately, my, both my parents had issues with drinking alcohol, um, I guess abusing alcohol, and... Um, so that presented obviously a number of challenges for me and it eventually led to us being taken away, us, you know, the children being taken away from our parents um, and, and being placed, you know, in other places. But I've got to say that my time with my parents, because we never ever went back and lived with them when I was, when I was taken away, and that was the age of nine. Um, I've got to say that at all times, my parents were very loving people. They were extremely loving, caring people, and they taught us what love, real love actually was. And for me, I think that was very important because I knew how to be that, that taught me how to be kind to other people yeah. and, and just how to relate to them in a loving way. But, of course, the, the unfortunate side of um, having parents who have alcohol problems, it's a very hard, challenging one because with that it brought about um, a lot of shame, a lot of frustration and sadness and sorrow because... Nobody wants to see their parents, you know, be drunk and out of control and silly, basically. 
And so there was always this constant struggle of, you know, um, finding your, your place in that, if you like. I can remember a very emotional moment, and to this very day I still remember it. I must have been about five years old when um, I was coming home on the bus from school and I could feel this. Sorry, I'm feeling a bit emotional at the moment, so yeah, I've got to focus on not letting that throw me too much. But this horrible feeling in the bottom of my tummy thinking, oh, my God, I hope they're not drunk today. Take your time. And so it's... You know, and I remember that sick feeling and and there was almost, you're a bit, there's this fear of having, of going home and not knowing what you're going to find. It sounds to me like you would have had a chance at a very young age to rely on yourself. You know? Exactly, and, that's right. Yeah, and, and to practice yeah, resilience. So, yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, life, the, the way I see life is this, and that is I believe that before we come to this earth in any lifetime, and I believe in the fact that, you know, we do keep coming to learn lessons. And, um, and I also believe that we decide what lessons we want to learn in a given lifetime. We choose the people that we want to, I guess, play those lessons out with, you know. We, I, I believe we um, choose our parents and, and everybody else who's in our life. It would be hard even knowing that knowledge to sometimes live that out. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that it's the experiences that you had as you age that allowed you to understand that. But at the time, I'm sure it wasn't as clear. Oh, no, because as a child, um, you don't know, obviously, you don't know those things. I mean, some children are lucky enough to have parents who will explain these spiritual the spiritual wisdom to you. Yeah. But I certainly didn't get that. But, yeah, so these lessons that you go through, you do learn. You learn through experience and through feeling. And the thing is, the challenge is, well, okay, what do you do with that learning? Yeah. What do you do with the the effects of that suffering that you may have encountered or trauma that you have encountered because we are beings that have free will we can choose i i honestly believe that the creator has put us here to give us the opportunity to choose our lives to create our lives and so through the trauma and these hardships for example, the things that I went through, and um, I, I'm happy to talk about it later on when I lost two children, mm -hmm. um, I was really brought to my knees then out of that trauma. And I 
just I'll just explain this just to you know get through what I'm trying to say. I had a choice of of um, learning out of that, accepting what happened, and then moving forward in a positive way, or meaning I could pull my socks up and make a commitment to being positive and getting the most out of life, right? Moving forward. But I also had a choice of allowing myself to become victim, to surrendering, to um, just simply giving up. And I did not want to choose that. Don't get me wrong, there were times when, and there still are times when I get very sad and sometimes frustrated. And, And that's all okay to have those sorts of feelings. That's part of the journey of healing. Mm-hmm. But going back to the other side, I did not want to accept that. I wanted to overcome. I'll just talk a little bit more about that other choice, if you like, the of negative course. choice I've like. That can be a journey which starts off as you feeling like a victim. You can become very, very angry, very resentful. You could resort to violence both to yourself and to other people. And so all of that can obviously create tremendous problems with yourself, but where does it take you? It only takes you further down the hole of darkness, meaning that you certainly don't bring joy and happiness and fulfilment to yourself, not at all. So um, I did not want to go there, and in fact the there are people who also choose to commit suicide. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not being judgmental of those that do actually commit suicide, but that was something, you know, that even was sort of presented to me, if you like, but I, I worked through that. So... Going back to this whole thing of of choices, of lessons and so on, I obviously chose for for whatever reason all those things that I have been through to learn from them because when you learn from them, that is what really makes you more enlightened. You become more spiritual, if you like, and it makes your wisdom and your knowledge a lot more richer. It increases your knowledge. It awakens you to who you really are. And we're all amazing, amazing beings, but we have forgotten we need to awaken. And it's when you have, when you go through these lessons or these experiences, some experiences are not as traumatic (laughs) as some, you know, as what I was just talking about. Um, but we can choose to learn and choose to see the positive things. And some of these positive lessons are wisdom, understanding, patience, forgiveness, kindness, unconditional love. These are the things that you learn. And that's the positive stuff. That, that's the richness and the goodness that comes out of that suffering. And that's the way I basically see my life. So for all the things that I have been through, I look at it like that. 
because if I chose the other path of focusing on my pain and, and staying in that zone of being the victim, guess what? I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you right now. No, agreed. I think that when I hear your stories, uh, the word that comes to mind is resilience. And it's so powerful, I think, to, to look back at your younger self and the, the trauma of having to be taken from your parents and to, to still be resilient enough to come out of that with grace and unconditional love and forgiveness, you know, like you were talking about. And it almost seems to me that that experience and being able to move past that or through that experience really allowed you the almost the foundation of being able to deal with the loss of two children. It certainly um, played a big part. Yeah. It, it definitely did. And yes, resilience is, is the thing. You become resilient. You don't get caught up in that victim stuff of blaming other people mm-hmm. and even blaming yourself. <laughs> yeah which I'm sure would have been easy to do. Can you talk to me a little bit about the loss of your two children? Are you feel okay to talk about that? All right, I'll, I'll, I will. When I um, lost uh, my two children, the older one, this 12-year-old girl, um, she had cancer. And um, she went into remission for a small while and then it came back. And then eventually she passed. She had that from the age of nine and then she passed away at 12. And I also had a baby who had Down syndrome and um, she was born very, very small. She was only 700 grams. She had lung issues. And um, anyway, that was very hard because she was in hospital basically for two years before she passed away, but I fought to get her home so that I could look after her at home. And um, when she actually did come home, she only survived for two weeks. But during that time of the struggle with the baby, that's when my older daughter um, became worse. And to cut a long story short, basically they both passed away in the same year, six months apart. And it was, it was very hard because just prior to that, um, we had to leave our home and um, go to Ad- Adelaide where the baby was in intensive care. And at that time, my 12-year-old daughter was in Darwin and we were told she only had 12 months to live. And so it was really difficult where I felt so divided because I was down in Adelaide with this baby and my 12-year-old daughter was in Darwin and me knowing that she only had 12 months to live. And so we went through, oh, it was such a traumatic time and um, and so, so much in it. Yeah. Um, so I'm really sort of, I guess, skimming over a lot of the trauma and the drama. But I've got to honestly say to you that that was the most traumatic time of my life, I think, 
because it the suffering was one of how do I get through on an hour-by-hour basis. And that was really, really difficult. And it was like you just could not see any light out of any tunnel. There were no bright, bright moments. It was just, just gruelling suffering. And it went on for, for so long, it seemed almost two years or more. And it was interesting because the way I got, well, one way that I did get through was having lots of afternoon sleeps. Mm. And it was, it just seemed like that was the only time that I could escape from the pain. And an interesting thing that used to happen was I would, um, I would go to sleep and then I would sort of escape to a couple of other lifetimes. And, um, and they were very, they were interesting lifetimes, but they were so peaceful. And then I would just go off to sleep. And um, I don't know if you want to know anything about those lifetimes, but they, they, they were just lovely escapes. Anyway, so I came out of, came out of that trauma. Do you think that, you know, that was your, your mind's way, your spirit's way of almost balancing the trauma and the tragedy of your current lifetime by showing you these glimpses of these peaceful lifetimes? And when you mention that, are you alluding to um, actual past life feeling? Is that sort of what you were talking about with your dreams? I don't believe they were dreams because it was like I was almost consciously going into them. I'll tell you what they were. Yes. These may not have been past lives. They could have been parallel lives. Didn't matter to me. One of them was I was a boy who was roughly about, I don't know the exact age, maybe 15, 16, and he was in India. He lived in India. And he was obviously very poor. There was this family that um, allowed him to sleep on their veranda on a shelf. And his job would be to pull people around in those carts, you know? Like a tuk-tuk cart or something. Yes. So he would pull them and take them from one spot to another. But the beautiful thing about this guy was as poor as he was, he didn't see himself as that. He didn't see himself as being in sufferance. He was very peaceful and relaxed. He would wake up, he would do his job, he would come home and he was so tired and he would just go to sleep and he loved going to sleep. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. And that was his life and I just loved that. That was one lifetime. The other one, I could see myself in a cave. I don't know where. It was in a cold country, in a mountainous area. The cave was very high and we slept on skins. And I would always get this image of sleeping next to a campfire and it would be night time and I would have a couple of children sleeping next to me. And... I would look out of the cave and it would be a moonlit night 
and um, I could see an older man next to the campfire just putting on it and just sitting there and watching over and he was like a grandfather but I could see this beautiful moon and I would be lying on the skin and looking out and the peace and the calm that I felt was unbelievable to the point it brings tears to my eyes. And, and I think those lifetimes were showing me that no matter, see, we in this Western culture think, tend to be very judgmental when we look at people who are not terribly well-dressed, who don't have houses that we do, comfortable beds, etc., etc. We tend um, to think that they must be in sufferance. But they may not necessarily be because these both lifetimes showed me that you didn't have to have much at all to have that deep peace with the presence. It was just beautiful. And so, and that's what gave me that peace. That's what got me through that dreadful time where each day was a challenge to get through. Have you had those dreams since? No. No. One thing that you mentioned that really stood out for me, and you've kind of just talked about it there as well, you made reference to hour by hour. Do you feel that looking at your life hour by hour helped you to um, sort of process the pain and to find your feet again? When I talked about the hour to hour, what I was actually talking about was surviving hour by hour it was like I couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel do you know what I mean like yeah wait like I can wake up now and I think oh wow today is Wednesday what am I going to do okay I'm going to do a b c and d and gee I look forward to going and doing my um, shopping do you know you can see that light you can plan your day you can get excited about something it wasn't like that then. All it was was just pain and sadness. And it was like, I just don't know if I can keep going. That's how dramatic it was. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, I went through a number of emotions. Like at the time where I was generally positive and wanted to keep going, I'd get up and get dressed, ready to go to the hospital and I would do my things even though I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel right but then I went through another set of emotions when I was in Adelaide when the baby was in intensive care and I was separated from my daughter it was very extreme then and that's when it just got worse in fact I don't even know how I survived through that so when your daughter's passed and even through that time um, leading up to that, how or what role did your spirituality play in that? Were you able to, did you have the mindset at the time that you had chosen these lessons? Did you, was that even a thought process? Did you, I know you found yes, healing in dreaming, but did you find healing in while you were awake as well? I can, I can categorically say that if it was not for my spiritual understanding and my spiritual practice, 
I would not be sitting here talking to you. Mm -hmm. So I thank God that um, I became from 1988, became very, very consciously aware a lot of spiritual things mm -hmm. of who I was and how I wanted to be, how I wanted to conduct my life. Yeah. And I, and I was meditating every night as well. Mm. I had a really good, strong spiritual practice before all that drama occurred with my daughters. And I believe that that is what kept me sane and kept me moving. Big lessons were learnt, obviously. Yeah, but it does say a lot about your character as well, that you were able to, like you said, you were able to choose the higher, well, for lack of a better example or expression, the higher road in this case for yourself. And I would think that, you know, being a, a theta healing practitioner and a spiritual healer as well, that your story is giving you an opportunity to connect with people in a way that, you know, maybe who have undergone similar tragedy in a different way than had you not experienced that? Oh, absolutely. I, um, well, let, let's just go one step back. Lessons that I learned, for example, when I went through the deaths of my daughters were things such as um, whatever is God's will, let it be. Because I had to deal with this thing. A lot of people would say, why does God allow two beautiful young children to pass away? Yeah. And, and that's really hard. But through my beliefs, and that is that our souls choose what they want. They came, they chose me to have their experience with, and I accepted that. And they chose to go when they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to accept that. And I did, did accept that. It was hard. That's not to say that I don't have any um, grief, sadness, sorrow. I do. Of course. And I've had to do a lot of healing and I'm still healing from that. Now, is one thing that helped you through that your practice of theta healing? And can you talk about theta healing, Veronica, especially for those who aren't familiar with that? Well, it's not. I don't just practice um, theta healing in, when I do my healing consultations, but I use a lot of the techniques just in a nutshell, um, theta healing is a wonderful modality which was started by Diana Steibel, whom I have so much love and respect for. But it's basically about connecting with the creator, basically putting forward with intention, you know, what healing you want and then visualising it and believing that it's going to happen. It's done in a meditative state and when you do connect with the creator, you, your brain goes into theta wave. And um, there are many different prayers that are a part of that. And um, anybody who's actually interested in that, I would urge them to um, actually buy Viana's book and have a look at it. 
when you heal someone, do you feel like you're healing them or you're helping them heal themselves? And do you heal as well during that process? Is there a bit of an exchange, do you think? Well, I don't heal anybody. It's the creator that heals. I just simply put out the intention and I visualise and I believe that I also act as a facilitator, if you like. It's the creator that really does the healing. And I feel that every time I do heal somebody, that yes, I also receive healing as well. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me a little bit about your healing process? Some of our listeners might not have heard of healing before, and they might not know what it's even used for. So do you think you could give me some examples of, you know, maybe some of the clients you've had, obviously no names or anything, but, you know, how healing can help and sort of the process in, your, in the way that you do your healing? All right. Well, um, basically the, the healing that I do, and as I said, it is through the creator. Healing can take place on many levels. There can be physical healing, there can be mental, emotional healing, and then there's the spiritual healing that takes place. And when I do these sessions with people, I always start off the psychic scan and I will be shown and given, and it's usually what it turns out to being, is the, the thing that's to be dealt with on the day that they, they come. That's not to say that other things are not dealt with, but I am I will whatever I get I tell the person, and um, I don't get the full story straight up, but I tell them what I see or what I hear, and if they're accepting or they can recognise it, or it sits with them, um, I ask them permission if that's what they want to deal with. And then I also say, and why did you come here? <laughs> Often it works out that what I am seeing is actually connected to why they've come. So it's really, it's an interesting process. But this is not all clear in the first few minutes. <laughs> but as the session progresses, it works out. And um, Can I interrupt you for a minute, Veronica? Um, I'm familiar with what you mean when you say a psychic scan, but others may not be. So can you explain a little bit about that? So a person comes to you, you're meeting them for the first time. Um, obviously you introduce yourself and you want to proceed initially with the psychic scan. Now, do you do that through, do you go into some sort of meditation? Do you close your eyes and imagine looking at the person or do you look at them with your naked eye? How does that psychic scan sort of play out? Well, with the psychic scan, before the person comes, I always make sure that I've um, done a cleansing and balancing on myself. I've asked for protection, always do a cleansing, balancing and protection of my healing room. So I've set the scene, if you like, and I also open up my chakras. The chakras are always open, really, but it's... Mm -hmm. um, you know, you become very focused and then when the person comes, my I'm already in a theta state. Okay. If you like, my brain waves in a theta state. So when I sit with the person, I will through the through the creator, 
I will just focus on the, on the person psychically using psychic ability because, as you know, um, we have chakras in our body. Each of the chakras have different functions. And, um, for example, there's a chakra between your eyes, the third eye, that enables one to actually see things. And often when I look at somebody, I can see various things. I might be shown symbols, pictures, different colours that will tell me various things of, oh, you have a blockage in a particular area or um, you must have you must be carrying abuse because often when I see darkened energy, for example, in the abdomen, that will tell me that there is abuse. It could be emotional, it could be sexual abuse, any type of abuse. And um, or the other thing too is um, you've got the chakra at the throat. That is the one where you can hear you know, guides, ancestors as well and get information through that. So it's like um, using other communication, if you like. So our bodies don't just hear and see and taste and touch. We have other senses. Yeah. As the third eye and as the one in your throat through that the chakra there and also feeling and you're using the chakra there just below your rib cage in your solar plexus. Right. And you can feel. So, yeah, it's using a number of abilities to pick up information. But at the end of the day, I basically let the client know exactly what I'm seeing, hearing and feeling. And I always ask permission, by the way, before I do any type of healing with the person basically it's the person that really is guiding the session because I don't deal with anything that they you know that they're not aware of or that they don't want to deal with if right. that makes any sense yeah yeah so when you're seeing these things are you sort of seeing them in your imagination in a way or in your real eyesight um i guess one way of describing it is like in your imagination yeah. Yeah. So what else do you, uh, you know, encapsulate when you're doing your healing practices? Because I know that often your client will lie on, on a bed and... I don't always use the bed. In fact, these days generally um, it's just they just sit in a chair and I sit next to them. I don't even have to touch them. But sometimes it's, it's nice to, you know, touch a person's hand yeah. Um, it, it, it depends. But basically healing can be done without touching. Obviously, it goes without saying that you've demonstrated incredible healing in your own journey and in your own life. Where have you seen other examples of the power of healing play out? Um, I see it constantly because... People will actually tell you things like, oh, I just feel so much more peaceful. I feel lighter. I feel more positive. And, oh, I'm, I'm clear about that now. I understand that. So it, it's, they can actually, what they're actually doing is they're actually feeling the energetic shifts 
that are taking place. I've had people come to me with um, who have been cursed, for example, and the creator has removed those curses. And some of them can be horrific, family curses or individual curses, and, and it's prevented them from, you know, moving forward in their lives because they've been held back in terms of, you know, really embracing life. I've seen, you know, that lifted and them being able to really just get on with life, you know, that type of thing. I've had situations where somebody's come and they've been really, really depressed and just couldn't see anything positive at all. And by the end of the session, the person was just basically said, I actually feel happy. Yeah, and, and in fact, in that particular case, it, it happened to be that this, it was discovered through the session that this person was abandoned by their father when their mother was giving birth to them. Wow. So there's a number of, yeah, case scenarios that I can talk about off the record here. <laughs> Maybe I could sort of collect a few for you. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I think that sometimes people get used to living a certain way. Oh, I've always had a weird knee or I've always, you know, had bouts of anxiety and depression without realizing that maybe there is an ability for them to work through that to have a better quality of life. Absolutely, absolutely. That is where a lot of my healing is focused on exactly and a lot of it is connected to past life issues as well and past trauma right do you think that people have to have a willingness to heal though do you ever have anyone come to you and they go oh you know you've been referred i always have this issue but they almost like that issue they want to use that issue as a crutch to kind of stop them from maybe living the best life possible. I'm, I'm sure you've seen examples of that where people are afraid to be who they really are or quit that job or move to that place, you know, whatever the case may be. Do you yeah. think, yeah, do you, do people need to want to heal to heal or is there sometimes a greater force that moves them along? Well, I believe anyone can be healed and yes, they have to basically accept the healing, but perhaps in the beginning, healing can take place about removing some of that fear and that anxiety so that they believe that, um, you know, there is a, that the pastures are greener on the other side, you know, if, if they did surrender to healing. But the thing is, there is such a thing as divine timing. If healing is meant to take place, it is going to take place. So there's a right time for it. Right. If it doesn't happen today, it might happen next week. So there's the, the divine timing issue. There's another thing too that there are people who are actually ready to pass away and they don't want to heal and that's fine. That's their choice. Yeah. And perhaps the healing session can be about them just finding peace just dealing with past trauma, resentments and so on and, and just finding the peace. But the thing is, some people don't want to move forward. I'll give you an example. It might be somebody 
who for the first they've got some disease and for the first time they're getting attention by their partner and they don't really want to heal so it really is up to the person at the end of the day but the healer can do a lot to um, help the person you know believe in themselves and to see other aspects or other ways mm -hmm. of moving forward what responsibility do you believe spiritual teachers and healers have? I think the responsibilities they have is, um, number one, is, is truth. Yeah. Is, is, is to be truthful, to be honest. Uh, as a healer, I always believe that one must um, conduct themselves from the point of unconditional love and truth and not from exaggerated ego because there are so many people out there who um, are just so focused on um, just basically money on its own I mean there's there's nothing wrong with accepting money I mean in a business that's you know you're in business to make money yeah. but there is such a thing as you know what is fair and what is just and what is good service for what is being charged yeah. And also, I think the other thing is that I feel a healer should be authentic and genuine and, and really always be responsible for looking after themselves spiritually. So when somebody goes to a healer or a psychic or someone in the spiritual realm, let's say, that... Um, is let's say charging services. Do you think there's a responsibility yeah. for the person who goes there to also decide whether or not the information they're being presented with is the right information for them? Well, I think that's where the truth comes in. I always explain to the person, you know, how I work, yeah. who I am connected to, and I will say, well, this is what I get. But I will also say to the person, at the end of the day, you have free will and you must stand in your power and you make the decisions of what you accept and what you don't and that you don't need other people to tell you how to actually live your life and make your choices because that is your right yeah. and you have the power to do it. I am here to support you, to give you the strength and the focus to place yourself in that position to be able to do that. How do you think people learn to trust themselves? I think at the bottom of that is all about self-love. Yeah. And um, that was one thing I had to struggle with because having been taken away as a child, I had big issues of, um, you know, lack of self-love and trusting others and so on. Yeah, I, I, I think, and, and that's a real journey of healing that self-love because yeah. I think once you realise that, um, you know, you are truly a spark of God, um, you come from pure love and that just coming into this zone, you know, we have many cloaks of negativity that we carry of anger, hate, guilt, resentment, fear, jealousy, all those things that are on your journey of life um, and if you're on the spiritual path and you really want to consciously focus on that, the challenge is to get rid of all those cloaks of negativity. One of the journeys that I've had to go through 
in life is also the journey of developing self-love. And one of the ways that I did that was I got very clear early on that I didn't love myself. And it was through years of becoming aware of the thoughts in my mind that weren't supportive and replacing those thoughts with truths. And as I grew up, those truths evolved to being from, you know, I like myself to I love myself. And that was over years. How do you, how do you think, is that a, a good way to get started? Or, or how would you recommend if somebody's listening now and they're recognizing that they don't in fact love themselves, how would you recommend that they get started on that journey? Well, what I would say to someone, I think this is where meditation's a good thing mm-hmm. because we need to first of all have a conversation with ourselves. Often we get so busy that we forget about ourselves. We're too busy talking to everybody else and everything else but when you stop and you meditate or just have quiet time and you just listen to your body and you can connect to the creator and say, well, what is it that I'm not happy about in my life? Be honest. And then write down the things that just don't make you happy. And it could be, oh, I'm so fat, I'm ugly, or whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is. That's where you start, I believe. Then, through the connection with the creator, ask to help you to heal those things. So so we're talking about connection, becoming aware of who you are and what your little roadblocks are, Mm -hmm. and then working at how to deal with those things. And there's so much help out there through healers, counsellors and others to help you with those things. And then, because it is, it can be a bit of a journey. Sometimes some people can just get it and move through it all very quickly. And other times, for others, it takes a long time. And I, and I feel that you've just got to be patient, but you've got to keep working at these things mm-hmm. and stay positive. And I would highly recommend um, reading Eckhart Tolle's work. Okay. It is tremendous. And I refer to his work constantly. So do I. It's just unbelievable information. But, yeah, it's about stopping in your tracks, giving yourself permission to look within, because sometimes we're too scared to do that. Finding out what, why we are not happy, listing them, and then start working on them. Because when I say working, what you're doing is you are becoming conscious about your blocks that's the beginning and then start getting help I mean if somebody came to me with some of those blocks I would conduct a healing session as I discussed earlier yep and start moving on them because there are spiritual healing is an amazing thing because it can deal with things that counsellors cannot deal with or psychologists you know, like past life stuff, curses, um, entities, that sort of stuff. So I would recommend a range of things. Open your mind to all these things yeah. um, because it's a journey of self, self-learning. See, the problem with us today is that um, we've... A lot of us have given our power away. We've allowed ourselves to be controlled 
by everybody else and everything else. We've forgotten that, hello, we, we've got a brain. We can work things out. And we, the doctor cannot help you with everything. They, they can help you with drugs and surgery and they can send you here and there. But there's a lot more to, to it. Go to a dietitian who will help you with the food. Go to a physiotherapist who will help, who are masters of, you know, dealing with your muscles and so on. But spiritual healers can also tap into things that no one else can. And then slowly one discovers who they are. And all these things can be remedied and you have to have belief. And, and through, through this, when you discover yourself, look into the mirror and say, you know what, yeah, you are fat and you're this and you're that, but guess what, I love you, warts and all. And learn to, to, to love that because none of us are actually perfect, whatever that is. Yeah. We are all unique, beautiful beings in our own right and we have to love that and, and, and to realise that it's, it's, it's outside control is what's made us feel inferior. Agreed. Through our difference. Because we are all different. Let's, let's face it, we've all got different shaped noses and different coloured hair and all this. Sort of. but, um, yeah. And it's about just loving ourselves for who we are. And, you know, it goes back to the way you started the talk, which is about taking responsibility for who you are. Yes, nobody else can. And this is another thing. When we start blaming other people and expecting other people to, to save us or to tell us how to be, what we're actually doing is we're giving away our power. We're saying basically in a sense, I don't know who I am. I'm nothing. You tell me who I am. And that's, that's where the problem lies. Until people realise that they must take back their power, look into that mirror and say, I know who you are and I love you and you have all that it takes. You have the answers, which we do. Agreed. We do. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Um, we've gone over the hour. I know that that's what you had allocated for today. Veronica, thank you so much for just being open and honest as always and just full of unconditional love and truth. Whenever I talk to you, I always feel better for it. I'd love to have you back on the show if you're open to it because there are a lot of things that I didn't get to today, uh, such as talking about meditation. I want to talk to you about other healing stories that you've got to share, just things like that. So if you're willing to come back on the show, maybe we can delve into all of that next time. I would love to do that, Lauren. Fabulous. So if someone wants to get a hold of you to inquire further or to uh, maybe get a healing from you, can I just direct them to your website? Uh, that, would, that would be good. Or uh, my email, which you know. Yep. In the um, podcast, there's a show notes section. I'll add that all in there. And I'll also put some links to Vienna's books on um, Theta Healing and also Eckhart Tolle's books as well. Yes. And um, yep. And I'll all link right. to your Facebook page as well. So thank you for that. Thank you. Mm -hmm.